Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 81st episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. And it is the long-awaited Dunecast. That's right, everyone. We are on Arrakis right now. We're talking about it. This melodious tones you're hearing right now, some call me Bill Bodkin, some call me Percival Texarkana. I am the editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com, and I will be your solo host for this podcast because, once again, Al Manorino is off in vacation land, but that's my fault because it took me a while to watch a two-and-a-half-hour movie with as much stuff as I have to do, and our site going down this week, which was the worst. Not our fault, luckily. Uh, but the Dune cast, we've been waiting for this one for a while, and the person who's been most excited in the entire world to talk about this movie on podcast form, I would say she's the Duncan Idaho of the of the popbreak.com. Uh, she is the social media guru of the site. Alicia Weinberger, welcome to the podcast that you said to us the first time you ever came on the show. Yo, we're doing a Dune podcast. And we're Al and I were like, well, we have one planned out. That's good. Hey, what's up? Hey, it's I, horribly mutated space navigator on a uh, tripping on a, a, a an analog for uh, LSD <laughs> slash t- childless millennial Alicia Weinberger. <laughs> God damn it! You were you were like when you when you saw them like taking spice, you were like, I feel, I feel that. I mean, it was written nineteen sixty five, right? It's it's it's, it's that's code for LSD, right? I, I don't know. I don't. It's I'm not cool. So, <laughs> it's a code for so much. Um, we will get into the origin story of this uh, <laughs> film, directed by Denny Villeneuve, which of course is on HBO Max and in theaters right now. But joining us, making his long-awaited socially distanced debut, someone I've wanted on for a long time, but if you know me, I'm horrible at planning guests for this show. Um, but he is no stranger to the Pop Break uh, family of podcasts. Um, he is our pro wrestling editor. He's a senior writer and photographer. He's also the lead television and film writer and editor for Substream Magazine. He is on more podcasts than me, than me which is saying something. <laughs> and he writes all over the place. The golden star of us all, Merjani Rawls. MJ, what's going on, pal? It's good to be back. It's good to finally be on one of these, I hear, I, I listen to them every time you put them out and it sounds like a whole bunch of fun. Yeah. And it, when you it's ask, not, the, it's not, un, it's not intentional. You weren't on it. It's just, Oh shit. Building book someone. Ken hey, <laughs> Cole, you haven't been on in two minutes. Be on again. So don't worry. We have a, I am sending you, I'm just sending you the list of stuff we have coming out so you can pick and choose where you want to be. But and no, I had to, yeah, I had to jump on, especially like talking about Dune. You know, the movie, the movie that had to be seen in movie theaters by (laughs) (laughs) Denise or like you were an uncultured moviegoer. If you didn't see if you watch this on HBO Max, apparently, but I don't know. Uh, I mean, if, if to me, if you have a really good television with really good speakers, I think you do get like. The good effect. I did see it in movie theaters, but like it could be, it's different from everybody. The, the pandemic has changed everything, you know. Listen, uh, my 
my five-year-old MacBook Pro with my Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> Pretty friggin' great, Denny. Uh, I want you to listen. You know, like I'm a I'm a dad. We all know this. I'm busy as shit. Could not get into the movies to see this, but I got to tell you, Alex Marcus, our podcast editor, told me this offline. No, he told me this on the TV Break podcast, which dropped on Wednesday. If you watch it on your computer or any type of device, make sure you have good headphones because the sound design is important. Mm-hmm. Now, MJ, you you jumped into one of my questions. You saw it in the theaters. Now, did you see it in IMAX, regular theater? What did you see it? Any sort of bells and whistles on the theater you saw it in? Well, I went. I saw this as a part of uh, New York Film Festival. Right. So, like, it was in like an IMAX type theater when I saw it. Um, I, I mean, with me, you know, watching movies has been very different over the past year and a half. Like, I'm not really cagey in how people, like, experience them. I'm like, if you could experience them at home, do that. You know what I mean? Like, it's a gateway for more people to find about find out about film and also, like, experience film because experience films are expensive like you know what i mean like you look at uh if you don't have anything like amc plus or something like that like a film plus food can run you close to 30 bucks like a visit and that's not including family um but i will say with this movie watching it on the big screen did enhance um my viewing of it it is a movie that I do feel, if you can, experience it in the best way possible. Because, uh, like you alluded to, the sound design is very key. Um, I would say Hans Zimmer's score is brilliant, and you feel it every single step of the way. The environments, especially with Arrakis and everything, it really literally feels like you're being transported to somewhere else. Like, it, it I know the movie is a little is a little long, but like it literally feels like a gateway to another planet. So that's how I kind of experienced it. I definitely wish I had seen it in the theater, but I got to tell you, um, and I agree with you on in regards to if you could see. I mean, I I saw Jungle Cruise and and uh, Black Widow and a number of films on and and a couple other Disney Plus films. I saw that on preview, you know, the premiere access and. It worked on my TV and it yeah. felt good, but you know, of course, I didn't see Dune on the big screen, but I will see the French Dispatch. You know that big budget shoot the works <laughs> sci-fi epic on the big screen this weekend. Alicia, how did you view Dune? And I hope your eyes were just blue. <laughs> I I, <laughs> uh, I watched it in the same pants I woke up in and went to sleep in all from the comfort of my own home. Cause that's my life now. And I'm never going back. Also cheesecake factory has ruined my cinematic experience. We can get into that later. No, get into it now. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You gotta, no, no, you gotta, this is appropriate factory into a Dune podcast and walk away. All right. all right. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep this short. I consider no, no, myself no. a woman who, who, who minds her own business. You bring whatever you want in the movie theater. Sneak whatever you want. Do crimes. I don't care. But if you bring Cheesecake Factory into a movie theater, you're fucking up. Like <laughs> I think that I think that there's an unspoken rule. You should not bring Cheesecake Factory. So funny enough, I saw I had to see Blade Runner 2049 twice. 
and I saw it in a shitty theater. And then that sucks because some guy next to me ate Cheesecake Factory, like straight up like white chicken chili right next to me. All right. I was going to say if you eat cheesecake in a movie, I have no problem with that. And then I went to see Shang-Chi, which was like the first blockbuster I saw post-pandemic, that other than The Green Knight. And whole movie, this guy would not commit to eating his cheesecake. Instead, he just fiddled with the box and he was awkwardly trying to not be loud. Yeah. So you don't want to talk about sound design. Sound design of a cheesecake factory. <laughs> you sound designed your unenjoyment of Shang Chi, which yeah. will be on Disney Plus on November twelfth, and I'll be watching the shit out of it yeah. on that day. I'll tell you, it was, it was I think you'll time. you'll really like it. I think oh, so excited for it. Um, so yeah, listen, um, I don't have a problem if you're going to eat cheesecake in a theater, just, but you know what? Rip the top off in the beginning, have it there, eat it, be good with it. Yeah, I'm also not a big it. dinner, you know, dining, dine-in theater type guy anymore because it's like you're waiting for your food and it just, I don't know, it ruins it for me. But let's get on to Dune. Uh, so guys, let's start off with the source material. Of course, this is based off the iconic Frank Herbert novel from the 1960s, which we've, you know, the 1965 novel, obviously, which is an allegory for LSD, obviously. Um and also, of course, we had the 1984 movie directed by David Lynch. And there was also a number of stars, a miniseries, one of them starring James McAvoy, um, that aired in the early 2000s, I want to say. Um, so, um, Regina, I'm going to start with you. What was your, what's your experience with the source material of Dune? I did, um, I did start reading it before I went to go see this one. Like, I'd always, That's it was always... Book. Yeah, it was always on my reading list, but it's always, but it's also kind of daunting the size of the book. So I was like, okay, like I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Uh, the movie's coming out. I'll get to it. So I did read a little bit, a part of it. I watched the David Lynch movie. Uh, that's an experience. Uh, I saw, like, I, I don't, okay, I don't necessarily hate that movie, but I can oh, see no, why. I, don't he, hate it. I don't no, know if I like it either, but yeah. But I, but I could see why he did not want to attach his name to that film. So uh, when I find out, like, Deneen was making this film, for what I understood, that he was, he's always been a fan of Dune. Yeah. It was like his childhood dream to adapt this book. And I'm like, I give studios uh, the thumbs up for giving the old college try to try to... Um, adapt this book because it's vast it where do you even cut it off um like you know many have tried many have tried and many have not succeeded but that yeah i mean i knew a little bit of it i knew like the core characters the core groups and everything like that but i wanted to go in with an experience of life of seeing the film and like getting into like Arrakis and all this stuff like for, for the first time. And it can be overwhelming if you know nothing about it at first. So for me, my dad, um, I mentioned on this podcast many times, he worked for uh, Putnam Publishing, which eventually became Penguin, uh, was bought out by Penguin Publishing. And he, when the movie came out, he was offered the full set of all the Dune action figures. Oh, nice. And turned them down. And I said to him, like, that would be worth so much money right now. What are you doing? Um, but yeah, he was offered that. He's like, that movie looks dumb. I mean, wasn't wrong. It's, it was a colossal flop. 
but to have those toys by God, but knowing my dumb brain, I would have played with them and they would have been destroyed. But, um, so that was my start. And then when I was younger, I actually got used copies of Dune, Dune Messiah and children of Dune. And which is the trilogy of books, um, done by Herbert. I don't know if there's any more than that, but, uh, but I have seen parts of the David Lynch, um, uh, movie. And if you've ever seen the original twin peaks, my God, and you look at that, if you watch this movie and then look at the cast of what that movie was, and you've seen Twin Peaks, you're like, how do you even reconcile some of these people should be playing these parts? It makes no sense. I'm not going to spoil it for you people. I want you, if you've seen Dune, obviously you're listening to this podcast, there's going to be spoilers. And if you know Twin Peaks, go look at who David Lynch cast in so many of these roles. There's one that makes sense, and that is Kyle, young as Kyle McLaughlin as Paul Atreides. That's that's where it makes sense. Other than that, it's it's a wild time at the movies, guys. And of course, it's very much known to Patrick Stewart's in it. Sting is in it. Sting? Sting. <laughs> and not the WCW Sting, brother. I'm talking about I'm talking about yeah. Brand New Day Desert Rose Sting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wah, wah, wah. It, that Sting. Uh, Although WCW Sting probably would have easily blended in to that oh, movie. I just saw him two months ago in Newark, and it was the, it was the biggest joy in my life. Um, gold dust. He's, oh, he's there too. Um, but Alicia, uh, you were yoked to see this movie. Um, what's your, I would love to know your history with Dune. I, I just I just love a good stupid space opera. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong; it's an intelligent book, but it's it's kind of dumb, right? Like, there's, there's like a little element you got to take a step back. We're like, this is this is insane. But uh, no, I, my experience is solely the the 1984 movie because it was always like on like encore or stars at like <laughs> three in the morning. <laughs> yes, it is. And it still is scene... when when Twin Peaks was coming back on Showtime. It was on. It wasn't Blue Velvet. It wasn't Lost Highway. It wasn't Name the David Lynch movie. It was friggin' Dune yeah. was on all it was on all the time on Stars. And at like one o'clock in the morning when I was like hammered and I'd come home from the bar and I'd be like, well, I'm gonna watch this, dude. <laughs> oh, but you and- should never watch Annihilation after coming home from drinking because that oh movie will mess you up. I'm oh. an Oscar Isaac type, obviously. <laughs> But yeah, so you you read the books though? Oh no, no, I don't. I don't You're have like, to no way. I'm, I'm a millennial. I don't read. <laughs> Alicia, you always surprise me every time we're on a podcast. So it wouldn't be surprised me if you were like seven years old and read all these books like ten times. I did finish a Dark Tower series. All right, so I'm just gonna humble brag, you know. Listen, listen, and so of course, directed by Denny Villeneuve. Um, my, I, I wanted to get your guys' opinion on him as a director. When I see I, you know, Prisoners, I've seen, I've seen Arrival, I've seen Blade Runner 2049. And when I heard he was doing Dune, I was absolutely excited because I, Arrival is his best movie, in my opinion, but Blade Runner 2049 is my favorite of his movies just because I don't love the first Blade Runner. Like, I love the look, I love what it created with Cyberpunk, but the story sometimes was like, all right, it's fine. But when he did 2049, I'm like, this is what I wanted. And it's a great movie. So when I heard he was doing Dune, I was like, perfect. Yes, let's make this happen. Um, I need to refresh in a drink. So Alicia, then Marjani, your your relationship and thoughts on your favorite film of Denny Villeneuve and your thoughts on him 
going into the film, when you heard he was directing, if you thought he was the right guy for Dune and not the wrong guy, say like, you know, a James Wan. Nah, no, actually, he would have been all right. Let's say like a Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner shouldn't be directing this movie. So let's go right back. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, well, my, my very first Valenue movie was Annihilation. Um, although I, I'm biased, I'm a big Blade Runner fan. So 2049 is my favorite. But I think it makes sense. I think if you're going to do a medieval epic, you need some you need some big sweeping landscapes and know how to handle that. And, you know, after seeing Annihilation and, and obviously parts of 2049, I think he he handles landscape really well. So I thought it was a pretty sick choice visually. <laughs> My first uh, Wave uh, experience was Prisoners. I really like Prisoners. Uh, then Sicaro. Well, I was a big fan, but I, like you, like I really became a fan during Arrival. Arrival is a great sci-fi movie. Um, Blade Runner 2049, I was so sad that that movie like did not make as much money in the box office. Like it was like a financial bomb because that because it's so beautiful. Um, I'm a little bit more of a fan of the original than I think most people are. And I think it failed because like, you know, like Blade Runner is a cult film, but is it a film that like has it worthy of like a $240 million budget? I don't know about that, but no, no is uh, the answer. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but like Alicia said, like if there's anybody that can handle the landscapes of Dune, the scale of Dune, especially how it looks down to the costumes and the nuances, it's Deneen. Like, he's going to have, he did everything with a fine tooth comb. So I thought he was perfect for it. Yeah. I mean, that's because they have said, you know, like Lord of the Rings, you know, Dune was the unfilmable, especially after Lynch. It's like, this is the unfilmable book. But when you hear it's Denny and you're like, you see Arrival, you see the scope and scale. Like you were saying with Blade Runner 2049, he was the guy. So let me not get to my regular questions. So speaking of that, for me, expectations going into Dune, like we said, the David Lynch movie, you know, kind of a mess. Um, my expectations for Dune, given Denny to Bill and the Wave, I was like, I saw that first trailer and I was like, this looks impressive, but it still could be a hot mess. But I... As we grew closer to the day of the release, I was like, you know what? I got, I have a lot of faith that this is going to be good. Um, and I, I didn't know if it was going to be great, but I thought it would be good. So, Marjani, going into the movie, you saw, you saw this at New York Film Festival. Was this, is this one of your, was, was this, let me try that again. Was this one of your most anticipated films of the year? Were you going in just like, all right, let's see what this is all about? I was going in like, all right, let's see what this is all about. Like, I've been hearing... Yeah. I was hearing a lot of buzz from like Tiff and everything about Dune, especially like, oh, you have to see this movie in movie theaters. Like the look is amazing. But I'm like, great. The look is amazing. But how how is he putting the story in? That's my, And my, like I went into it expecting, OK, this is Dune part one. So how is he going to handle all these story bits, all these factions and make it into a quantifiable way that I'm going to want to see part two. That's difficult. And especially with like a novel that's 700 pages, where do you stop? Where does it end? How do you introduce characters like Zendaya's character and who's, who is featured prominently 
in the trailers, but she's only in the movie for like 10 minutes. You and know? all her like, scene and all her scenes are filmed in slow motion. Yes. So Very it's so like, you know what I mean? And a lot of story elements are kind of left out of the trailers. So I was like, okay, like I was more interested to see, like, see, can he do this? Like, can this be successful? I know going in, like, the movie's going to look gorgeous, but, like, is it going to be a hot mess plot-wise? Alicia, you were, like I said, you were the reason we're doing this podcast. You have been amped to talk about this for, God, as long as I've known you, which is a lie, but I just felt like exaggerating. <laughs> um, so what were your expectations going into this? Were you like, this is the movie for me, or or did you go in with any trepidation or anything? Let me know what your thoughts so when it was originally announced, I was pretty hyped. The first couple trailers had me worried, and it was probably because of my own bias. Because uh, I think I remember saying in another podcast, yeah. like the first couple trailers felt like a Maze Runner <laughs> trailer, and I That's thought they right. were going to really I do remember that. like lean into like the kind I of teen like romance, like chosen one story arc, a little too hard. Um, but you know, obviously, I'm wrong. So, but you know, the trailer uh, definitely leaned into you know what was it uh, the the Maze Runner one was called the Scorch. Yeah, like little the finger, Scorch Earth. Yeah, the little little finger character was like, "Welcome to the Scorch," and you're like, "That's <laughs> awful." But I do remember you saying this. They're definitely you know getting Zendaya and, and Timothy in there and being like, "Hey, it's YA romance." I remember you saying that. Yeah, they're like, we gotta get these these gen these Gen Z kids, these coron <laughs> these coronials. Jesus Christ, that's a thing. Uh, that's what I was. I don't know. <laughs> All right, well, let's never bring that up again. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, but I I remember you saying that. Yeah, so yeah, I, I so we all kind of went in there like this. This has the potential to be awesome, but you know, a little a little tense now. Were you guys now? Of course, this was released both at, but simultaneously in theaters and on streaming, and it has cleaned up in theaters despite being on streaming. I saw it on streaming. Alicia, you saw it on streaming, and oh, did I? Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry, it looks like I froze there for a second. Apologies, guys. Um, so I saw it on streaming. Alicia saw it on streaming. Or Johnny, you saw it in theaters. Are you guys su surprised at the success that this had theatrically, despite being uh, going to streaming simultaneously? Where we've seen that other films have had trouble uh, financially being a simultaneous release. Uh, so, Marjani, uh, sorry, that's what I'm trying to say. Marjani, uh, what did you think? Are you surprised how well this did theatrically? I would say, I would say no, no, because we're getting into a realm where a lot of people are feeling better of going back in the theater. Like a lot more people are, or have the vaccine. There are in, in a lot of cities, there are vaccine mandates where you have to show vaccination status in order to go to the movie theater. The Saturday um, for the French dispatch, I have to show a vaccination record. Yes. Which I better. So like a lot of, you know, a lot more people are getting back in the theaters. And I think, you know, if you see uh, like the success of a movie like Free Guy or a success of Venom, which <laughs> which a lot of people, love Venom, you know, Let There Be Carnage, which a lot of people love, mm -hmm. um, Eternals is going to be one to watch this weekend. But I didn't know Free Guy did that well. I thought that just came and went, but I also wasn't. I didn't keep my eye on the prize on that one. 
Yeah. Like, no, I didn't, I didn't think so because like, it was a surprise to me how like furious there are of like Dune fans. Like there are a lot of, maybe not as compared to the Star Wars series, but there are a lot of like devoted Dune fans out there. And with the kind of the buzz and the excitement of like this allure of like, you have to see it in theaters. Like, I, I think that people were starving for like a big, big budget release like this. And that's why they kind of uh, supported it. For me, I, I, I thought this was, I was very surprised because I looked at this film and I'm like, this is a film because Dune is not the household name of a, Star Wars, a Marvel or a Marvel film, or has a Ryan Reynolds, like you were mentioning, Free Guy, or a Marvel uh, character like Venom that we've seen throughout the years, if not decades, in comic books and uh, in you know cartoons and, and uh, in film. Dune is like known for like there was a really bad movie made of it in the 80s, and maybe you heard of the Star series. So I'm just like, I don't know. And then there seems there seems I know there definitely was the backlash to Nolan for Tenant, where you have to see Tenant in the theater, which I did. Oh, my wife rented out a theater, and it was like five of us, a hundred yards apart. But um, thanks, thanks to my wife, she's awesome. Um, but I did not think there was enough of a fan base or enough of a following or enough interest in this film for people to be like, oh, I need to go see this because as much as people love Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet and Oscar Isaac, they're not box office bonanza headlining stars although i think zendaya will be uh shortly uh but yeah i didn't think it would be i thought people would be like this is an hbo max movie i'm gonna stick to hbo max this is where i'm gonna see it uh alicia what about you are you surprised that this is the success uh in box office wise that it has become i I don't know i'm kind of half and half which is kind of a cheap answer to say because i personally feel if if it wasn't for the fact that the entire species has been cooped up inside for so long. I, I think it actually would have, I, I think it would have ironically been bad had it not been for the pandemic because I, Interesting. I just, yeah, I just, I feel like, like once, like you said, it's not a star Wars, like, like not like Dune isn't like this household kind of science fiction property, like, I don't know, like Jurassic park or, or star Wars, for example. But at the same time, the original film came out in 1984, which isn't that long ago. So you still have like a good populace of like probably like a lot of Marvel fanboys, a lot of Star Wars fanboys that are like, oh, hey, I remember this. I'm going to go take my kids to see it or I'm going to show them Dune. So it's it's not too far off the pop culture radar where it would be too deep of a cut. Um, but I, I also think like because people have been cooped up it is kind of the first like Oscar Beatty movie that isn't like a drama of this sure. year. Like we haven't had, I, I don't know, like any other kind of epic Oscar bait movies. Um, yeah. Like Spencer this, this week. It's not, a, yeah. It's, it's coming out this week. And then we got uh, Belfast coming out shortly. Um, yeah, you're right. This definitely has, you know what? I didn't have that on my list, but that will be a question towards the end. Um, Thank you for bringing that up. So let's start. This cast is ri- ridiculous. Um, who is your favorite? Who gave your favorite performance? And also amongst this cast, even though it is part one, who do you feel was kind of uh, 
you didn't get a whole lot out of that you wanted more out of. And I'll just start off and throw it out there. The person I wanted more out of was I love the Josh Brolin character. Um, he was great. And I'm going to get his name. Uh, too, uh, too sweet. Uh, hold on one second. I think I just like said like too sweet. Um, he played uh, Gurney Halleck. Um, who, if you look who he was played by in the Lynch movie, it's going to blow your mind. Um, plays this great character, like kind of like this, this, you know, very, it seems like very learned, very religious character who is, you know, warning Paul about being, um, being alert and being ready. He's this right-hand man to his father. And yet we just kind of see him in battle and we don't really know his fate. And I felt like, I'm like, man, that is a character I want to know more about, and I really hope we don't, you know, spoilers. I don't remember him in the movie. Because it was a long time since I saw the 84 movie and I didn't read the book. So, and I actually don't want to remember what happens because I want to be see if he's in Dune 2. Because that's a character I, I hope they come back to. For me, uh, my favorite performance, man, it's going to be, um, it's tough. But Rebecca Ferguson wins it for me, man. I've, I mean, I've been a big fan of hers since I first saw her in the Mission Impossible movies. I thought she was so good here, man. Jason Momoa comes in as a runner-up, of course, as my daughter pretends to be Duncan Idaho right behind me. Um, and yeah, it's like she was so great giving this very intense performance that walked the line between mother and religious fanatic, or maybe not a fanatic, but a, but like, um, you know, a religious uh, character who's trying to shepherd in the Messiah and trying to divorce herself from that, but also trying to be a mother at the same time. It's a really great layered performance and also kind of badass when you see it at the end where she fights Javier Bardem. So totally love Rebecca Ferguson in this. And I want to see more of her. If you haven't seen Dr. Sleep, by the way, she plays Rose the Hat. Great character. Yeah. Watch that movie. I didn't watch anything Mike Flanagan does. I can only say great things about Mike Flanagan. Mike Marjani, I hope you've seen, oh, I have both of you seen Midnight Mass on Netflix. It is the best. It's, well, maybe I just, because I went to Catholic school. But um, Alicia, your favorite performance in the film and the, the actor you felt got the, uh, kind of got the short end of the stick in this part. I really enjoyed Oscar Isaac in this. Once again, I feel like everybody enjoys Oscar Isaac, no matter what he, he I mean, he could literally read you the Cheesecake Factory menu, and I think it'd be an I Oscar really, bait performance. I swear to God, if in the future he does a Cheesecake Factory <laughs> commercial, I will text you, I'm going to call you or FaceTime you and be like, it's happening. I'm going to sue Cheesecake Factory because they stole my idea. <laughs> I know a couple of them. Awesome. Um, but no, I, I really enjoyed him in this. And I think at the same time, I really kind of wish, I, I mean, obviously I know he's spoiler alert to anybody who didn't watch the original movie or read the books, but I know he was meant to die in the movie, but I kind of wish they flushed out him more as like a father figure to Paul. There was this kind of tension of, you know, he's being pulled in three different directions as both like, um, military figure a leader to his own people but also like a father and a husband and i like we got some of that in the movie but i i felt like we didn't get enough and yeah. the way he died was really sad but it didn't it didn't resonate me with me as it should have i agree i thought the atreides uh dominance i saw that on screen rant too they've talked about the atreides dominance as this military power wasn't really uh, explored. Madrani, do you agree with that? Do you think, do you think they gave enough to the Atreides house, especially um, 
Oscar Isaac's character, do you think they really hammered it home for Duke Leto Atreides? Well, like, um, just spoiler alert, I think it was kind of badass the way he went out <laughs> in, in the movie of, like, you know, biting his tooth in his birthday suit and killing every, you know, killing, like, the Baron's nephews. Which, which led like to a uh, led to a great meme. <laughs> it's like, what's your, it's like, it's me, Leo, Leto Atreides. He's like, so? He's like, Atreides sees nuts. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Like, it's so dumb. <laughs> but at the same time, I appreciate how dumb it is. I I mean I, I I do kind of agree with Alicia where like um and it'll it'll lead into like who my favorite person is um the relationship between Paul and the Duke they have that one conversation where like um obviously the Duke kind of wants him to be the heir but he also is like you know like I want you to be whatever you want to be um and it's just kind of that and then it's also with House of Tra- uh, with uh, House Atreides, they're sent to Arrakis because of the Baron, and it's just like, all right, we'll go there. And I'm like, okay, what's? I wanted more of the relationship between the Baron and Atreides, and like the Emperor. You mean? Yeah, the Emperor and and stuff yeah, like that. I was a big complaint. People said we did not get any of the Emperor in this one and we he's just a character we reference that that is actually um stella sarsgaard as the baron of uh, baron vladimir that is the person who i think was very underutilized he's very he's extremely creepy uh in this movie like it's, it's know, like classic Skarsgård, man yeah he you know he rises from the tar he can um you know make himself like 11 feet tall. Like he's this, he's this figure obviously that like is going to betray house Atreides and it comes together fast, but like, you're like, okay, I want a little bit more of his backstory and maybe they'll go. And I think they'll go into that in part two, but like, it's kind of left as like a a hangnail in this movie. My, I'm going to agree with you that my favorite character is lady Jessica who Becca Ferguson. I think that basically her working with Paul's character in order for him to develop his ability, uh, basically the uh, the Dune equivalent of the Jedi mind trick. Um, oh my God, the voice. The voice. Alicia, uh, I feel like you practice that in your spare time. <laughs> <laughs> or are, are now going to. I think it, it's... A cool contrast because you think that, you know, with the father-son dynamic, like there would be like, you know, him being strong and him, you know, uh, developing his fight abilities. But it's really the voice that saves him in the end and him, her telling control it. Okay, like, all right, maybe you're not ready. But she's like, all right, like helping him develop it. I think her performance and like you said, like towing the line between motherly figure and uh being this uh person of the I don't want to pronounce it wrong the uh Bene uh Jesserit. Um hey man, you know what? She was I'm gonna give you that one because I you know <laughs> it, none of these names none of the things in this movie are easily pronounced. I th- I think that she played that really well and that and it's a tone to basically Re- Rebecca Ferguson as an actress. She's she's great. 
Oh, that's really awesome. My daughter is also building, uh, she's building a rack, rebuilding a rack. <laughs> right um, but Alicia, you were, so just want to go back to you for a second. You said um, Oscar Isaac's character, his performance was, youth one. I believe you said he was the one that was most underutilized, but was he your favorite? He was my favorite, but I also felt he was underutilized. Okay, I just wanted to double check that. And you you brought, you wanted to say something in regards to Stellan Skarsgård's uh, well, try saying that five times fast. Stellan Skarsgård's character. Uh, Stella Artois. That overpriced Heineken is. Uh, <laughs> man, you have that with a nice steak and a nice place. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah it's not bad. It's all right. <laughs> it's, it's all right. Pretty good. <laughs> um, okay. This is a, oh, by this the way, is, his when he is like, remember when they do the gas and then he's like on the, they find him like on the ceiling. I'm just like, wow, that is directly out of uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I yeah. he, I felt like he was Gary Oldman right there. Just like, <laughs> was he floating or because okay, when I my, no, I don't know because I didn't know if he was he made himself eleven feet tall because he made like a super long legs or was he floating? I don't know. <laughs> Because, because he my, had, remember, he has that thing on his back where it's like all those like electric. Yeah, yeah he's got the weird, gross, like cyberpunk kind of kind of shit coming out of his back. Because because it's funny that you say that because my one complaint about Harkonnen is my know. favorite part of the 1984 movie is he is disgusting. <laughs> he is a disgusting man in the 1984 movie when he spits <laughs> on Lady Jessica. It's seared into my mind. Is he any he's less disgusting in this? He's movie? he's he's disgusting, but he's like an epic boss character disgusting I guess. Yeah. so it's kind of cool to look at but he's I like feel... a he's like a devil may cry character right right right, wow. right i'm gonna We're face gonna go him there, off in like dark souls or something but wait a minute so it's funny that you wow. bring up the whole 11 feet tall thing because my, my girlfriend she walks into the room while i was watching it and she's like does that guy have a snake body? And I'm like, I don't know. Is he like a <laughs> snake centaur? <laughs> but that would be awesome because, <laughs> you know, in the books, yeah. and, and granted, I didn't read them, but I, I know a decent chunk of like the lore sure. is if you consume enough of the melange or, or, or the spice, you, you like mutate because that's what the guild navigators are. They're like mutated human computers. So there's like almost like an eldritch like kind of horror element to do and that I don't, you know, that, that it really gets like touched upon a lot. They really didn't touch much upon the effects of spice to anyone outside of uh, Arrakis. Uh, so that's a good point. Um, let's talk about Paul. Let's talk about Timothy Chalamet and his character. What uh, I, it's it's weird when I heard him speaking just like in a regular American accent, because I haven't seen too much Chalamet in my day. Uh, did not mean to rhyme that intentionally. Um, <laughs> but I was like, wow, okay, okay, I like this performance. And I didn't love his performance until the tense sequence where he sees the Holy War. And he is completely frightened that people will kill in his name. To me, from that point on, it became the Timothy Chalamet show. Um, and I think he was the perfect casting as Paul. We were saying, what would, we were joking before we went on air. It's like, what would be the worst casting for Paul? Finn Wolfhard would be the worst casting as Paul. Uh, would not be good. I also just rewatched Stranger Things season three <laughs> recently. He would not be good. I love him and other stuff. Him as Paul, terrible. Uh, but for me, I love Chalamet in this role. He was great. And I feel like what this did was 
helps us set the table, hopefully, for part two, where he's really going to hit a home run with his performance. I don't know if this performance is Oscar-worthy, just because I don't know right now off the top of my dome what would be up for best actor. But I think he did a pretty damn good job in this one. So, Marjani, what is your thoughts on Timothy Chalamet in this role, your favorite part with him, and who would be the worst person to play Paul? Oh, man. Realistically, uh, not like me saying Will Ferrell would be a terrible Paul because obviously he's like a 50-year-old man. Hey, you might as well say like Jim Carrey. Would be I, like, yeah, worst I mean, he to would be a terrible Paul. Although in this, in Dune. Somebody stop me taking spice. You know? He's like, let me tell you something. Spice. Yeah. Uh, you really built a rack as your kid. Thanks. <laughs> um, so what do you think of Timothy Chalamet's performance? And is it Oscar worthy? Well, Deneen uh, and cinematography of Greg Frazier definitely um, does a lot of slow-mo and uh, up close of Timothy Chalamet as a whole, like to say like, Hey, this is a really good looking guy here. Let's take, uh, let's take a slow-mo look at that. I, I like you, like I liked his performance. I feel like they gave him more to do as the movie went forward. Yeah. Um, You see his interactions with both his parents, which is different. And it's hard when you're the lead role and you're surrounded by talent like Rebecca Ferguson and Oscar Isaac and like Zendaya or Jason Momoa or Javier Bardem. You know what I mean? Like these are all great actors. But when the betrayal happens and he has all these visions of like the Freeman and Chani, like when they become more pronounced and at the end when he fights to the death, I'm like, okay, like it's setting him, it's setting Paul up to be like this, the savior. And like, now I see what his role is going to be. Like, I feel like this is, this movie was more of like, just you wait. Like we're building Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Timothy Chalamet up as Paul to have a even bigger arc in the next film. Here's my question about that too. I'm just going to bring this up since you talked about that fight sequence at the end, he has visions of the person he is fighting is going to be this great mentor towards him. And he ends up killing him. That's pretty wild. What'd you, what'd you think of that? Was that unexpected or were you like, okay, that makes perfect sense to me. I saw, I'm trying to process that scene and be like, okay, does this character come back? Like, I don't know what to make of it. I think, well, I think that, like, I think when we, yeah, when he has the vision of it's his twin him bro. dying, I think that was, and I read somewhere, I forgot, but like, that was, it, it was interpreted as the death of his old self. And now that he, uh, you know, the death of, you know, him being like the heir of House of Trades, now he's going to be, I guess, the savior of the freeman and him going on this, his journey. So when he kills off like the Freeman soldier, that sets him on the path of, you know, wherever he's going to be in the second and presumably third film, because Deneen said that he wants to make this into a trilogy. So with a a saucy boy, did not know. So like, that's how kind of like I interpreted it. I was like, okay, well, like 
him being the heir to the Duke is no longer going to happen. Now he's going to be like, he's going to lead the Freeman to whatever the promised land. Alicia, your thoughts. Okay. We're going to get, we're going to do that back this backwards. Your thoughts on that final, that, that that's the visions he had of that soldier that he ends up killing, who he was supposed to be this teacher and teaching about the desert. Uh, he ends up killing him. What were your thoughts on that? I think it was a very, I mean, in a lot of these, like, kind of, like, savior-type epic movie roles, right? Like, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm the, like, this Jesus prophecy kind of character. I mean, usually, like, they just they just kind of, like, brush over, like, oh, I have a prophecy, but it doesn't, like, you don't get, like, a sense of, like, vulnerability from the character ever, right? And I feel like, well, now I'm kind of answering the question backwards, but, like, yes, I, like, I think Chalamet took this kind of role I don't think it's Oscar worthy only because of the the nature of the character doesn't really allow him to express too much emotion. But uh, I think it's the most vulnerable we ever seen in this type of like typical space opera role. Um, But I I don't know, like I I really like that whole like, hey, he kind of saw this teacher and he actually kills him IRL. So the way I kind of interpreted that was like did he teach him in his mind like it was a crazy like spice kind of time travel shit where like he was he like was being taught via the prophecy but then when he actually got to the moment in the present he was meant to kill that guy because he taught him everything he was supposed to know via via the spice (laughs) that's you know that's super interesting because it's like the freemen are like they're part of this world. They're right. part of the. They're part of the, the the atmosphere almost. And then the spice is affecting him more than anyone else. You see how Paul is affected by the spice. It doesn't affect that we've seen his mom. Well, also like I, I also took that as a complicated relationship too. Is he almost sees her as like kind of divorces himself from his mom at some point. Like he was like, you are now just like someone I know, and like you're my mom, but sort of not. And then we also see get a little bit in that with. Um, his father saying like, you're the, con- that was his quote unquote concubine. He never married her. It's a very interesting dynamic there, but yeah, it didn't affect her the same way it affects Paul. Like he, he has all these visions and she's like, all right, what's like, all right, you're okay, kid. You're like, it's like me eating shellfish. It's just like, it doesn't affect anyone else, but me, it's just like, put me in a hospital at this point. It's a weird comparison. I know, but listen, this is what I do. Um, but I really like that theory of just like he was taught through like an LSD experience, a peyote experience, a, a DMT experience type <laughs> deal. I mean, it's a, it's a narrative device that Villeneuve's used before. I mean, in, in a way, right? He even uses yeah. it in 2049 where Ryan, Ryan, Gosling char- Ryan Gosling's character has the implanted visions. And, well, you, you learn that they're implanted, but there are clues for him, uh, you know, from the past to find this person in the future, basically. And he even does it in an annihilation, but in reverse. So it, it's a narrative device that arrival, he, yeah. he's used before. Yeah, an arrival. Yeah, that's right. Annihilation's the one I saw drunk after. Their oh, annihilation, arrival. Operate Christmas show and <laughs> lost, I lost my mind. I um, feel like those movies came out at the same time. And I just, they did. They, did. they, they, they did, definitely right? did. Okay. <laughs> They're definitely both crazy. Um, let's talk about the effects in this one, because like, to me, like, Especially the assault on the Iraq, the capital, let's just say, the mining area, the the, the palace, um, for lack of better terms. I was stunned 
at how amazing just seeing it on my my computer i'm sorry denny i saw it on my computer <laughs> it still looked breathtaking this assault on the capitol bill uh, the capitol complex what was your most what did you think was the most impressive effects in this because there were a lot of terrific special effects in this film or johnny you first what what blew you away effects wise with this film I think it's the scene where House Atreides first goes to Arrakis, just to see the scale of that spaceship and landing down into a sand planet where it feels as though you feel every grain of sand and the heat and everything. And it's enhanced by like Hans Zimmer has like a very, uh, simple tribal score yeah. in that during that and it just like you feel it, it like even though it's not like a 3d movie or anything but like you see it in 3D. like you feel like the spaceship touched down you feel like the the grains of sand other people's feet and everything like that like the simple things like that in the movie i thought felt incredible uh, the fighting scenes, it, I it reminded me of Halo because, like, yes, yeah, like, I couldn't put my my finger on it, but like, this reminds me of it. It definitely feels like Halo. Like you're hitting people, and it's like green, but like when you when you like actually like you know damage them, it blinks red. And I was like, this is oh, this is like Halo. Oh, yeah. especially that Duncan uh, corridor of death scene. Oh, yeah, oof, whole lot of red. You got right on you, brother. Um, sorry, a little short. I just wanted to bring in a good right reference in the podcast. Um, Alicia, what was your favorite um, like effects piece in this film? My favorite was, it was very brief, and I think it's even kind of shown in one of the trailers, but I think it actually happens in one of Paul's visions. I can't, I don't remember exactly, but it's when the Harkonnens kind of like, they rappel down from some sort of black void, but it's, it's like this gravity reversal as if they went underwater but came out on the surface kind of effect so they come out like really yeah. they come down really fast and like really slow on touchdown the, it's also out the, of this abyss this uh this uh sadra okay mm, i gotta look up the name it, like when they're when they're with when they're on harkonnen when they're in the desert it's the one second i gotta get the i want to say the right name it's the uh, the the emperor's guard essentially, or his assassins. When they they try and go down there, it's just like they're they kind of just like float down. That's that's crazy. That is a crazy scene. Batista, yeah. brother, <laughs> not enough Batista in this film. I want to walk through a pit of danger, and I didn't feel it in this movie. But speaking of effects, I have a big question, and this is probably because like the worm. It's not about the worm. What, the worm <laughs> laughing at Paul at one point, where I was like, this is really weird. <laughs> totally not an analog for LSD at all. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. It. Stop it. It's not about tripping. Okay. So do you remember the scene? Once again, this is very brief, but it raised a lot of questions in me and my girlfriend's viewing was when we were first introduced to Harkin in, in his bath yeah. and then Dave Batista like kind of walks in. There's this um 
Is baby Botkin out of the room? Because I'm about to say something inappropriate. Oh yeah, she's she's been gone. She built she <laughs> built a, she built a transport over behind me. She's good. A bunch of like like uh, soldiers are gonna start floating down. Yeah, they're just <laughs> I would love it if she like floated down. I'm like, you know what? That's impressive. I love you. <laughs> um, the scene where you're introduced to Harkonnen, there's this weird spider creature in a gimp suit, and I what. Yeah, they, I, I mean yeah, that was my separate yeah, yeah. favorite effect because like, I didn't like the, that. No, it's eating out of like a dog bowl, and they're like, "You need to get rid of that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like the mother is like you know the mother of the the order is like get rid of that. It looks like it looks like the spider from um if you just watch it Return of the Jedi and if you just watch the Book of Boba Fett trailer the, from the beginning. Yeah, the spider that comes in the trailer. Yeah, I was yeah. like, "What is he doing? This is a crossover." It yeah, looks like the, something. Gimp like spider is now. really. I'm not a fan, to be honest. I want I want to know the lore behind Gimp Soup Spider. <laughs> that's what that's what Group Bar Three is all about. It's just Gimp Soup Spider. <laughs> that's the name of this episode, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that would also look. I mean, it's obviously an effect, but it looked really creepy and really real, and I did not like it one bit. Um, let's uh, let's head towards the end here. The conclusion where we leave off, we're heading towards uh, the, the Freeman area, the land, their cities. Was that a satisfying, was was the conclusion of this and was this satisfying for you? Did you sit there and say, no, no, did you sit there and be like, no, you can't end it here. This is not where you ended. And did you want it to keep going? Would you have sat there for another, for part two? For a, like, would you have done the Lawrence of Arabia? And done the intermission for a few minutes, 15, 20 minutes, and then you go into part two. Like, were you left, like, in theory, none of us want to sit through another two and a half hour movie, but were you left like, God, you can't leave me here. I want more. So, Alicia, where they ended, was that satisfying for you? And did you want, or did you want to see, like, way more? I definitely wanted to see way more. However... I'm glad they ended it there because I, I, I don't want to see like an avatar or dances at wolves. I, I don't want to have to go through that slog of like uh, Tim, Timothy Chalamet has got to like awkwardly kind of like, like learn like his way through this culture and these people. I, I, I like, you know what? That could happen between movies. Like I don't mean that. I would that. love it if we don't <laughs> see any of that and we just get to the, we got yeah. to the chase for sure. I, yeah. I suspended my disbelief enough for this movie. I think I could do it for the second one. It definitely left. I honestly, to be honest, it definitely, I was like, I maybe because I watched in two parts. So I watched like the first hour that I watched the next 90 minutes. I'm like, I could watch more. But I think if I had seen it in one sitting, I would have been like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good, pal. Um, although the idea of that old school intermission in a film is just very romantic and very like a throwback to the classic days of cinema. So I would have been like, ah, oh, yeah, that's totally fine. And then when it happened in real time, like this is a terrible idea. But um, I felt very satisfied where it ended. I was like, okay, cool. He's met Chani. And the next movie is where we get her story with him. We get that YA romance, that the scorch, we get the YA romance. And but not really, but we get to see more and we're going to introduce more characters and we hope we see the emperor. We see this character that Sting was playing that will be played hopefully by someone 
better than Sting. And um, maybe we'll find out what happened with Josh Brolin's character. We'll see what happens. And I, I'm very into that. So I'm good where we ended. But it definitely left me wanting more. I definitely like give me DPT, DP2. Uh, wow, that sounds terrible. Dune Part 2. Give me that. Uh, Marjani, your thoughts. Uh, did they end at a good spot for you? Were you left wanting more? Would you have kept going? I think that if you kept going, you're risking going into Snyder Cut territory. And I'm not dissing Snyder Cut. I, I like Snyder Cut. But I definitely I watched it in parts. Yeah. Uh, like, I definitely did not watch all four hours in one sitting. Uh I want it more because it was like, all right, he finally got there. He finally met Chani. I kind of, all right, where does this go? Is he really going to be the savior? Is there going to be a twist here? How are they going to overcome the Harkonnen? Because, you know, his dad and all the troops are dead, essentially. Um, but I was satisfied because, you know, um, reading like a, like, an interview from Deneen, he said that, you know, uh, Chani's character was going to be more pronounced in the second part. If there, at that time, he said, if there was going to be a second part, we all know now that they greenlit it. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, like, like I said, like, I love the score. So like when the score came together and it was like, all right, cool. Like we're finally off on the journey now because I feel that Dune part one is, Mostly a fantastical setup for the main crux of the parts that are going to come in part two, right. presumably part three. So, yeah, I thought that one, I want it more, but I also am OK, you know, um, wait for 2013 as it opens up, presumably now uh, against the second Puppet Patrol movie. Dude, watch out. <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you things about Paw Patrol, man. I know a lot about them. Dude may want to move. Chase, <laughs> listen, guys, Chase is on the case, Rubble's on the double. Don't think I haven't had nieces and a kid. I know a lot about kid stuff, but I don't think Dune has to worry too much. Um, <laughs> so let's uh um okay, don't worry about Alicia. Um let's get into our rating. An overall and final thoughts on Dune Part One. We're gonna rate this on a scale of uh, not spicy to extra spicy. So that's a scale of one to five. It's a ridiculous uh, rating system, but listen, I'm a ridiculous man doing ridiculous things. So, um, Alicia, your final thoughts on the film and on a scale of like one to five, not spicy to extra spicy. Uh, how would you rate the film? One, if I, if I can just add one last thing I really loved, love the costume design. I'm all here here for it. Costume designers, they need to, they need to get more recognition, right? Um, fashion, 100%. I want to wear those. I want to be a space navigator. I don't care how horribly mutated I look. I want to be one of those Daft Punk people in the beginning. Who doesn't um, want to be Daft Punk is the question. Right. On one of those Freeman suits, <laughs> but uh, overall, I think I think the actual vision. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah, just drink my own, drink my own pee and tears. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> but uh, uh, I think I think overall, I think. <laughs> 
Listen, I just want to be that mouse. It's going to just be just a lot like, of coffee. Don't, and, don't be afraid uh, of me. I'm drinking the sweat from my ears. <laughs> <laughs> Love that mouse. It's very self-sufficient. Very self-sufficient. Very sustainable. <laughs> How we're, that's how we're going to be. That's actually how we're probably going to live in the next five years. Yeah, we all have to walk or, around or, in or it's like water water. Uh, still suits. Yeah, yeah. Or it's gonna be <laughs> like, oh my god, it's going to be water world where he's just recycling <laughs> his own urine. Don't think I didn't see that in theaters, guys. Um, oh my god, I had it on DVD. Hey, listen, <laughs> we we all have our crosses to bear. <laughs> um, <laughs> so your final thought, Jesus Christ, who knew I would bring up Waterworld in 2021? But here we are. Um, your final thoughts on the film and the rating on uh, from not spicy to extra spicy. I think overall visually, I think this is the good, a good middle ground. We could have like the best middle ground we could have gotten in adapting Dune. It could have either been so off the wall, up its own ass, insane, or it could have just been an oversaturated space epic, just full of space battles and like like teen Jesus figure romance. Um, so I think it was a good middle road, fashion as fuck. And in terms of spice level, I think I give it a good ghost pepper. It's not unbearable. It's still flavorful, but it's pretty spicy. Not extra spicy, but pretty pretty spicy. Give I thought it a, ghost pepper it, was the old... most spiciest pepper out there. <laughs> That's a Carolina Reaper. Ghost pepper oh, is, at least still right, tastes right. like I thought something. the scotch yeah, bonnet yeah, was yeah. up there too, but and all right. So it's, it's no, a, no. Yeah, it's, you know what? Dune is a scotch bonnet. I'm good with it's classy. <laughs> it's a classy spice, <laughs> but still spicy. It's pretentious. I, it's a I pretentious thing. I hope Denny Villeneuve listens <laughs> to this and is like, "All right, guys, we we hit a Scotch bonnet on this one. We got to go. For, we got to we got to get to the Carolina Reaper." He does have a secret Twitter account. Yeah, it's at Bodkin writes. Um, <laughs> um, Johnny, what's your um, final overall final thoughts on the film? And uh, from uh, not spicy to extra spicy on this one, I think with the hoopla that surrounds this franchise that it, you know either the failed david lynch one or the uh the made for tv one or like the ones that just didn't get off the ground you could tell that Deneen really loves dune he puts a lot of care um even though if you do not if you go in cold and dune that first hour throws a lot of exposition at you Holy you're like, whoa, yeah, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Who is the house Harkonnen? Okay, uh, Arrakis is this big planet that, they, that they're sending uh, somebody to to rule, and then the freemen are oppressed. Okay, and Spice is like this hallucinogenic thing that gives people power. All right, that's a lot to take in for the first the Stargate, hour. Stargate, and you're like, what is James Spader doing here? <laughs> it's whole thing. But it really starts to settle down in the second half. Yep. So if you kind of like in, not endure the first hour, but you've kind of like sort things out. This, I would say, was the kind of the best way that they could adapt the first part of the book. So although I don't think it's perfect, I'll give it a, a jalapeno pepper spice where like it's flavorful. It's. It's hot, but it's flavorful enough for you to eat it and like not have to go uh, get a big glass of milk after. You could put it in your tacos. You could put it in, you know, other condiments. Like it's good. It's good there. You Or a nice little jalapeno pepper uh, sauce. 
something like that. It's don't yeah. put the seeds in it. Is what you're saying? No, nah, yeah. There, there's no seeds. It's just straight out. <laughs> I give this a sweet Thai chili. Why? Because I love sweet Thai chili. Um, because what it is, I feel like just given the scope of what they're trying to do, and I'm going to try and make this as serious as possible. Why I say it's a sweet Thai chili. It is a very, as you were saying, this is a very, very large, dense source material that they have to basically uh, synthesize for a viewing audience. And I think if you have zero knowledge of Dune, you can go into this film and you can very much enjoy it. It's very digestible. It's just got a little bit of, it's got the spice in there. It's going to make your, it's going to, and then, you know, if you're like, it's going to make your, it's going to make your head sweat and your hair's going to get a little wet, but it really it gives you so much. It gives you background. It doesn't overwhelm you. It gives you the space. It gives you that action. It gives you good drama. So it's hitting all these, it's hitting all these notes at the same time. It's sweet and it's spicy. You can get, a lot out of it. And that's what I appreciated. It wasn't so, as Alicia said, it wasn't so up its own ass where it's just like, if you don't know Dune, you're not going to get this movie. But it wasn't so generic where it's just like, it loses all its flavor. It loses all its its intricacies. There, There is a world here. There's a lived in quality to this film that thousands of years have happened and you're, you're just like you've said throughout the this podcast, you're now immersing yourself into like the little grains of sand that's on Arrakis. And that is so difficult to do. And we, we and there's so many things that happen in this that you feel like, OK, I'm now in a documentary almost like I'm learning about the Freeman. I'm learning about this. These sandworms. There's a guy. There's a character riding a sandworm, for God's sakes. Like you're learning so much about the lore but not being overwhelmed by the lore. You're still getting a good film, a good epic, a good action movie, a good sci-fi movie, a good drama, a good character study. And that's so hard to do. Uh, so if you're number, what number this is, it's like a four out of five for me. And I want to come back to Dune 2 and I want to come back to Dune 3. I think this is going to be really awesome. So guys, before we head out, let's give a pop culture recommendation to the people. Let's talk about something we've been watching recently that we want to recommend and be like, hey, guys, this is something awesome. We want you to check out for me. Listen, if you need something to wrap a warm pop culture blanket around yourself, it's the great British baking show. It's on Netflix. It drops every single Friday. It's wonderful. Everyone is so nice on it. Everything on there looks delicious. And it's just a fun hour of television. You could just watch, enjoy, and just kind of check your brain on a Friday after a tough work week. It's just easy to get through. There's so much stuff on Netflix with uh, the show you can binge. It's a very, very, very easy show to watch. And if you're looking for something with a little more uh, teeth to it, um, like I mentioned before, I know spooky season has passed. But you have not watched Midnight Mass, the new season from Mike, the new series from Mike Flanagan, who did Doctor Sleep, Haunting on Hill House, Haunting of Blind Manor. Uh, this is, um, I think it was a Gerald's Game and Hush and Oculus. It's an excellent show about faith, the afterlife, addiction, recovery, the plight of the working man. Scary as hell. 
and still very funny and also very impactful. Go watch this show. Seven episodes. It's great. It's on Netflix right now. Alicia, what do you got for the people? What What are you recommending for people to check out? Um, it's not a TV show or a movie. So, uh, I'm going to be an old fogey, and it's, it's a it's a book. Holy oh. shit! <laughs> Holy shit! Right, I'm reading. Oh, it's a book. <laughs> ah. But I think it's a good segue because if if you are somebody who is maybe a little too intimidated by Dune, one just pro tip, everybody, you can get free audiobooks from your library. Support your local library. If you want to listen to Dune, I think that's the best way to consume it. But um, going back to my recommendation, if you're in, if you really want to get into a fun uh, space opera where there's a lot of ambiguous world building, if you're into like fantasy books that have their own index, I've been reading this uh, first of this series called the Locked Tomb Trilogy. It's called Gideon the Ninth. It is about space necromancers. Um, and uh, it is, it's great. It's, it's a queer represented representation i don't know the word i'm looking for but a uh, story about two right. uh space necromancers and uh it's very dune-esque in the sense that there's an emperor there's an ongoing space blood war or something and uh they absolutely are deplorable to each other and then it turns into a love story and it's great it's a good time good time <laughs> uh, so who's it written by um holy shit i forgot uh, but it's called Gideon the Ninth. <laughs> it's published by Tor. Um, Tamsin Muir. I'm sorry if I'm saying her name incorrectly. That's who it's by. But uh, it's a good. It's a good time. It's there's an index in the front. There's an index in the back. It's not as big brain time travelly like Dune is, but it is. It is. It's got some fun world building in it. And there's swords. In in. And nine foot tall women with big arms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't like that? I don't know. Gideon the Ninth. <laughs> Hamson Muir. Yep, that is, uh, it was published in 2019. You can get it on Audible. You can get it on Kindle, a Barnes and Noble ebook. And I'm sure you can get it on Amazon and anywhere you can find a book or ebook. So check that out. Murjani, close this out. What is your recommendation or recommendations for the people to be checking out? No matter the pop culture genre, uh, I'm gonna record. I'm gonna recommend two real quick. Go. I've just revisited The Boys season two to get ready for the eventual Boys season three. I have no idea when it's gonna come out. I didn't they I have an answer. Boys season one. But <laughs> if you want an absolute batshit, violent, hilarious, and a way of deconstructing superheroes. Uh, especially like Homeland, uh, one called Homelander for everybody. Please watch the boys on Amazon Prime. You have an Amazon Prime account. Also, I'm gonna record. I'm gonna recommend everybody go see Eternals this weekend because you saw it already, right? Yes, I'm a little bit. I'm a little You're bit fancy. low on it. You're fancy. No, I'm not. not you but fancy stuff. No, I'm a little bit low on it. Um, but I want to hear everybody's uh, reactions to it because I think that right now everybody is down the middle. Uh, it's definitely, it's a, it's a, an encasing of a Marvel film, but there's also some Chloe Zhao-ness mixed in. And it asks a lot of like, not giving anything away, but it asks like, it's, 
superheroes who like the Eternals are gods and it approaches them in that way to, you know, we're not with like, you know, the Steve Rogers or, you know, the guys who are at our eye level. So there's like these existential questions of like, what do you do? Do you intervene with humans and stuff like that? So I think that's interesting. So like everybody go check it out um, and talk with, talk with me about it. Like I, I want to hear everybody's like opinions and stuff and discuss it. Yeah. And of course, if you don't remember Chloe Zhao, of course, she's the Oscar winning director of Nomadland. Sorry, Francis McDormand, which I believe you can watch on Prime. Not sure where else you can watch it off the top of my head. Maybe um, Hulu, I think it might be on Hulu still. I'm not sure. Yeah, you find there <laughs> if you just Google Nomadland, you will find it somewhere <laughs> for sure. Um, so guys, that wraps up the episode. Uh, I'm stoked we were able to talk about this huge space sand opera. Uh Alicia, tell people where they could find you on social media and uh, uh tell them how much you're looking forward to that new Blade Runner show that's coming on the Cartoon Network. Oh man, it's it's gonna be a good time. It's I gonna hope, be I hope you read a review for it. It's gonna be silly. It's just gonna be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> um I uh you can find me on Twitter at uh at Alicia Weinberg, drop the ER on Twitter. Yep. You'll find a lot of Gideon and Ninth fan art retweets. <laughs> My jam right now. Yeah, I think I definitely have seen that on your timeline. And congratulations <laughs> on becoming an aunt. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you. To your brother and uh, and his wife, who is shot for the poprake.com before in the past. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. Thank, thank you. For Johnny, you have a litany of stuff you need to promote. So please tell the people where they can find your collected works. Well, you can find me on Twitter where, where I mostly am at Merjani Rawls, M-U-R-J-A-N-I-R-A-W-L-S. You can find me on the Pop Break. Of course, you could find me on Substreet Magazine. You could find me basically everywhere else. I'm always grinding. I'm always trying to do way, a lot of different things. Um, yeah. Don't you have and, a podcast? Um, not at the moment, kind of retooling for next year, but I'm sure I'll cook somebody buddy up. And you you two are awesome, so I'm probably pretty sure I'll ask both of you to jump on there at some point. And uh, you also are a published author, so please tell people where they can find your works of poetry and other uh, works that you have done. You can find it on barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com. That's right. As a former Barnes & Noble employee, I highly recommend you go to bn.com or barnesandnoble.com, whatever they have. Uh, retooled that site too. Uh, of course, I am at Bodkin Rice if you must follow me because it's just it's just wrestling, guys. Or retweets from thepopbreak.com every single day. We're talking about television, movies, music, comic books, anime, pro wrestling, uh, digital trends, all sorts of great stuff. Uh, check out some great shots we got from the See or Not Music Festival, festival from Governor's Ball, of Rival Sons, St. Vincent, of course, we're talking. We uh, just wrote a digital trends piece on the anniversary of Too Many Cooks. We've got all the latest movie reviews, all the latest TV reviews, tons of podcasts on Spotify, Google, Apple, and Anchor Podcasts. Check out Pop Break. T- uh, check out Pop Break TV. Check out the Breakcast. Check out Check Out. And the winner still is the Way Too Early Oscar Podcast. We're on Twitter at the Pop Break, on Instagram at the Pop Break. Someone hacked our Facebook, so to that. So. For Alicia Weinberger, for Majani Rawls, thank you for joining us for the 81st episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast. Long live House of Trades. <laughs>